I'm not going to do that. And I'm excited to not do it because it felt like a should. And now I could go do what I want to do, not what I should do. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. Listen, if you are brand spanking new here, here's what you need to know. You have just stepped into no ordinary personal finance or wealth building show. Your life will never be the same because this is a community that believes that wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's the condition of well-being. And so each and every week, we look at what I call the six pillars of wealth to unpack how all the areas of our life literally impact how we manage our money, how we connect with our finances, and ultimately determine how we can build financial wealth. And so if you want to grab what those six pillars are, I want you to go to my website, patricewashington.com forward slash start here and grab the free audio training, The Truth About Wealth in less than 30 minutes you'll literally have a new take on what it means to truly be wealthy. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want you to know it was brought to you by my new book, now available, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, How to Stop Chasing Money and Finally Live Your Life's Purpose. I am so excited to get this into your hands so you can have a playbook, a guide, a manuscript for how we actually live the six pillars out in our everyday life. These are the rituals, the mindsets, the behaviors, the attitudes, the beliefs, the exercises that I have personally done and still do to continue to build wealth from the inside out. And I can't wait for you to have it. So head to redefinewealthforyourself.com and pick up your copy today. Well, it's official. You've heard me talk about it for I don't know how long. (laughs) This week, I have officially crossed over into my 40s. Oh my God. Where did the time go? Now, seriously, where did the time go? I feel like I just graduated from college maybe five years ago. And clearly, I've had a lifetime, I feel like, a lifetime of experience in just these last 20 years. But man, where did the time go? I don't know where the time went, but I know that there are some things that I am so excited to leave behind. There are some beliefs, some mindsets, some attitudes that I have carried for the last 39 years, well, 40 years, (laughs) that may have gotten me to this place. And I'm very grateful for the journey. I don't despise anything that I've experienced from all the hurt, the trials, the tribulations, the betrayals, the pain. There's been a lot, right, that have gotten me to this place. But there's also been so many highs, so many joys, so many wonderful relationships, so much love, so much encouragement, And I know that I am who I am at 40 years old in three days at the time of this episode dropping that, you know, make me who I am. But there are just some things that if we're honest, while they may have gotten us to where we are, they're not necessarily the things that we want to take us to our next level. And I don't even know if 10 years ago or five years ago or a year ago, I could have articulated some of these things or beliefs as as things that I'm just ready to leave behind. I'm ready to let go of. And I'm ready to see what God can do when I remove the limits. Like what can really happen if I've been able to do this much And come this far with all that has transpired, what could happen if I released a few things? And I always say that the podcast is like my open 
accountability. You are my public accountability. And these are the things that I'm thinking about. And I'm not even going to say that I have some expectation to release them at 40, like this year they must go. But because, you know, there are things that took many years to develop. So I'm not one of those people who believe that you should be able to be able to overcome something overnight. No, I'm not that person. But I do recognize that one of the ways that we just rewire our brain is to be aware, right? We can't recondition what we don't first recognize. And these are the things that I want to work with my therapist through. These are the things that if you know of books or podcasts or different things that you think would help me. Um, I love when you all send me memes and send me suggestions and talk about things in the Redefining Wealth community Facebook group. Like I really take those things to heart. Don't think that I'm just like, oh, thanks. No, I look up things and you guys pour into me as much as I hope I pour into you. And so I want to share these with you. I want to be clear. I'm sharing them not for your validation. (laughs) I'm sharing them not for your affirmation, right? Like not for you to affirm or co-sign or any of that. I'm sharing with you what I've already prayed about. I'm sharing with you what I've been mulling over for several weeks. I'm sharing with you some things that are in my private journal, some things that, you know, I typically would only talk to my therapist about and maybe one or two really good girlfriends. And again, it's public accountability so that if you have resources, you can share them with me. Or if you hear yourself like in what I'm about to share, that you know that you're not alone and that no matter what you believe might separate us, right? Whether that's age or time or distance or celebrity or, you know, um, I don't know, financial success or relational success, whatever you think, right? Because I don't know all of you, but you have whatever perception you have of me. Like, let's just be real, right? And I want you to get a sneak peek into, again, what I actually talk about (laughs) with my real friends in real life and what I discuss with my therapist and what I'm going to be working through. And I don't know how long it's going to take to undo, but I just want you to know that these are not things that I'm interested in. This is what I'm committed to in this next season of my life, all right? So here's the first thing I'm leaving in my 30s. I'm working to undo. It's my attachment to unnecessary numbers. An attachment to unnecessary numbers. What does that mean? That means when I go through the pillars, because as you know, my life is based on the six pillars that I share with you all that I teach from. I don't just talk about it. This is my life. And I recognize that no matter how much work I do or put towards reaching a certain objective or goal, I can undo it and sabotage it pretty quickly when I allow myself to be attached to certain numbers. And it's something that I've just become more and more aware of over the last couple years. And I want to give you an example from the fit pillar. One of the numbers that I'm working to detach myself from is the number on the scale. Yeah, the number on the scale. So, you know, I've shared over the years about challenges I've been a part of um, that were great for me in that season, But challenges I've been a part of to drop body weight and to do certain things and to, you know, I do have the desire to show up as my best possible self each year. But I'm realizing that as I become a woman of a certain age, there are certain numbers that I would have to, let's keep it real, kill myself to create, to get back to. It just doesn't make sense for where I am, for how old I am. And don't tell me, oh, there's women who are 40 that are this and that. Look, great for them. I'm telling you about Patrice, (laughs) right? 
I don't want to be attached to the scale. I want to be attached to how healthy I feel, like how well I feel. How am I fitting in these clothes? Am I happy with my shape? Am I happy with my figure? And I realized that I'm happy with my figure, but then I would look at the scale and it would say whatever it said. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to, I'm, I, I guess I should lose 10 pounds. And it's like, for what? For what? For why? <laughs> That's an unhealthy, unnecessary attachment that I have to a number that made sense when I was 30. Right now, it doesn't necessarily make sense, right? If my hemoglobin levels are in place, are intact, if my blood pressure is intact, if all the other numbers that would indicate, you know, how healthy I really am in different parts of my body are intact, why would I bend myself out of shape over what's on the scale? For what? For why? For whom? And it's just one example of an attachment to a number that doesn't even matter, but how it can totally derail us from purpose, totally derail us from what we need to actually be focused on. And my iron levels, right? Like my battle over the years with anemia or just, you know, high blood pressure years ago, I haven't experienced it in in many years, probably like eight or nine years, but You know, there's just so many other numbers that actually matter in the bigger scheme of my health. And the number on the scale, there's no reason for me to be attached to that. It just doesn't make sense. Another one from the money pillar, quite frankly, that I'm detaching from is my credit score. And I know that some of somebody's gonna be like, oh, the money maven, we're gonna get to that too. But I'm saying I'm detached from the credit score because my husband and I, we have our weekly meetings every Monday and we track everything, our net worth, right? The the balances in our accounts, what what unexpected, well, not unexpected, but what unusual expenses are coming up. Um, we track the value of our properties. We tra- like we track all these things um, that are necessary in order for us to stay on this path of building wealth, right? We're self-employed. There's no one coming to save us. There's no pension. There's definitely no social security. Um, so, you know, we need to be aware of those numbers. But one thing that we realized that I realized recently, and I was bringing it to Gerald's attention, is that we were making certain decisions based on what it would do to our credit score. But the truth is, we don't really need the credit score for anything. So let's say we wanted to put something on our credit card. For example, we were in this, (laughs) I call it Kitchen Chronicles. It was the entire (laughs) journey of remodeling our kitchen, renovating our kitchen. And so there were some instances where We could leverage credit, for example. We could leverage credit on our appliances. Now, we have the cash to buy the appliances, but we have so many contractors and subcontractors that we have to pay in cash. Why not leverage credit for the appliances and get the 18 months at 0% interest that Best Buy was offering as an example, right? And one of the conversations we went back and forth with was this whole thing about credit. And well, we like to like not have any credit. We only have an American Express that we pay off every month. And, um, you know, I only have one. I have an Old Navy card. I use my Old Navy card for all of my personal expenses, like my hair, nails, that type of thing, because I get the rewards and because Reagan is growing out of everything. My daughter is growing out of everything every two weeks. (laughs) I can take her to Old Navy and I'll have enough rewards for her to like grab a couple tops and, you know, skinny jeans and whatever the kids are wearing. And it's basically free. Like she walks out with $200 worth of clothes and I've paid like $3. So We understood that intellectually, and that would be what we do. And then we just pay it off, right? 
But in the midst of this renovation with so much cash going out, it just wasn't making sense. It's like, if you can avoid that, why are you not? Like, if you can keep more cash in hand and like manage cash flow better, why would you not? And so we got into this conversation and Gerald was like, well, I don't want it to impact my credit score. Like, I don't want them to run my credit and it impact my credit score. And I'm like, what is the attachment to this credit score? Because we're not buying a new house for sure anytime soon. We don't need credit for anything. Like, we literally don't need credit for anything. So what is this unhealthy attachment we now have to credit scores being 760 or something so or 780 to the point that if someone runs your credit and it dings you three points, you're now afraid. Like that's a that's a scarcity mentality. Like what the heck? It's like you realize that we went from the extreme of losing everything and filing bankruptcy 10 years ago to now rebuilding our entire lives and getting it to this place where we really don't even require credit like that, but we're in bondage to keeping our credit score at some certain level. It just it just didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. And when we talked it out, we realized that don't make no damn sense. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? My 30s have been defined by attachments to unnecessary numbers. From the work pillar, I'll give you an example. And I talk about this with the ladies in Purpose to Platform. It is so important that we know our number. You need to know the number that you actually need to create in gross revenue, not just net, but in gross revenue in order to live the lifestyle that you desire. And, you know, I've been a part of so many groups and I know so many people in this space, this space of personal development, right? And I have amazing friends and they are multiple seven-figure, eight-figure friends. And there's so many conversations about, you know, it's really time to scale and, you know, I, I want to hit 10 million this year. I want to hit 25 million this year. And it, it's like this, right? And you hear these conversations and then you start getting consumed in other people's numbers. And the truth is, I've intentionally designed my life in such a way that I can really work because I want to, not because I have to. I'm not saying I'm at a place where I could just do absolutely nothing and survive until my death, right? Because if I have another 40 years to go, no, I, I couldn't do that. Let's keep it real. My investments just don't generate enough for me to live the way I live now consistently for another 40 years. I'm just turning 40. I'm working on it. But I realized that getting caught up in other people's numbers and not sticking to what my number is, just a recipe for disaster. And in the same way, I know this is about what I'm releasing, but I always want to relate it and connected and hopefully make it plain for you in the same way. If you have these arbitrary numbers that you're like, I need to make a million dollars. I really want to invite you to think about why. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, obviously, right? I, I am a seven-figure earner, so I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, why do you need to in how are you beating yourself up about going after a number that isn't necessarily your number? Like, let's keep it real. Your number might be $95,000. And if you did $95,000 a year for the next three years, it would literally change everything for you. It would shift where you lived, how you could save, the debt you could pay off, what experiences you can create for your children. And if you did that first, right, and that became your new floor, then your next could be, my number is 150,000. And I know that 
we are placed around people and in certain communities, sometimes just to bring exposure to what's possible. I'm here for it. I am grateful to know. Like you could have never told me as a little Belizean American girl in South Central Los Angeles that I would have the the number of billionaires literally in my cell phone. You could have never told me that. But just because that's the call on their life, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? I don't want an attachment to how much my business must create. Like I know my number. And I guess I should say it this way. I don't want an attachment to other people's like numbers that they need to create. If you have 50 employees and all this overhead and you are doing all the things and that's what you feel called to do, that's for you. And that is wonderful. And I support and applaud anyone doing it. If you feel like all I'm, all I would like to do is literally run a home-based business that allows me to be home with my children, be present, whatever the things are, however you define this for you, and you're like, all I need is 125000 a year. Guess what? I am rooting for you. I am happy for you. I am proud of you. But what I'm learning for me is that I need to stay focused and not look to the left nor right when I'm determining what is necessary for me. And I think it's so funny that God really imposed on my heart that my word for the year would be content. You've heard me say this before if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. My word for this year is content. And it's like not happy when, happy with. Not happy when I get to something else, right? Happy with where I am now. So whether that's the number on the scale or whatever the heck my credit score is at any given moment, because you know that fluctuates. So I have no attachment to that. Or it's just knowing the number, gross revenue that will allow me to do really great work in the world, to serve people the way I know I'm called to serve, to take care of my clients without having this constant, you know, need to go find and chase more people, right? But to go deeper, possibly with fewer and be okay with that being my call. It feels good. It's one of the reasons too. I have no attachment to how many redefined wealth for yourself books we sell. No attachment. Literally, I think everyone on my team is like, ma'am, we are in a full-blown book launch. And I've been like, you know what? And I really believe this was a God thing. I'm not, I'm going to do an episode about, you know, sometimes in, even in the midst of you understanding and knowing your purpose, you're still called to pause. I felt led to pause all of the millions of things I would normally do in a book launch. I mean, I have a laundry list of things. I've talked to some of my good friends who've done really well in the book selling space. And I had the plan, like I had all the things. And every time I was trying to go and do those things, I felt like mm -mm. I would get snatched back. Like, no, that's not for you. And what it taught me is not just contentment, but it taught me to not be attached to the number of books I sell. I'm very grateful the book is doing well, and I'm grateful for your love and your support. And let me tell you, the book is phenomenal. Be clear. <laughs> Redefine wealth for yourself is phenomenal. But I don't have an attachment to being a New York Times bestseller. And I'm okay with that. My prayer is to be content with contentment. I don't have an attachment to being on the Wall Street Journal's list. I don't have an attachment to a publisher, so I definitely don't need to feel the like, oh, you need to sell XYZ books. I just wanted to put my thoughts in book form and believe, I truly believe that it'll be a blessing to millions. But I don't know where those millions are going to come from <laughs> because I don't have an attachment and I'm not forcing it. And it could be months or years or I don't know. I, I literally don't know. But I'm also okay with not knowing. I'm at complete peace with it. And so the attachment to unnecessary numbers are something that I'm really hoping 
praying, wishing, but also planning to leave in my 30s. Another thing I am letting go of, I'm releasing, I'm leaving behind in my 30s is any action based on titles or labels that I didn't choose or that no longer serve me. Any actions that I take based on titles or labels that I didn't choose, or maybe some that I chose, but they just no longer serve me. And I talked about this on Twitter as well as Instagram, but one of those labels is the responsible one. The heaviness and weight I feel having, I believe, been raised to be the responsible one. I remember being a little girl, maybe I was in fifth grade, but I remember my mom would travel a lot. She used to work on a task force where she would go all over the world and help open these hotels. I mean, she opened the Tiverskaya Marriott in Russia, like the lady was gone, right? And my grandmother, both single mom, single grandma, my grandmother was basically illiterate. She had a she had a grade school education, maybe third grade, which you know for many people back in the day that was kind of normal, um, especially coming from Central America, where my family's from. And so my grandma would stay with me, but she couldn't fill things out. Right? She wouldn't be able to like fill out permission slips or fill out things for school or even send, like, fill out the checks to pay utility bills. And I think I was in fourth or fifth grade, and I remember my mom showing me how to, like, look at the utility bills, a gas bill, a light bill, fill in the check, and send it off. And when I would run out of the checks that she had pre-signed, I just learned how to basically forge her name, (laughs) forge her signature. And it's so funny. I remember being, I remember senior year. I went to the same school from like fifth to 12th grade or the beginning of sixth to 12th grade. And I was so used to writing my own notes, like tardy notes, absences. I was like, luckily I wasn't like an awful kid, right? But My mom worked so much that I would sign my own permission slips and field trip slips and like all the things. And my senior year, I was, you know, you're getting ready for prom and I needed hair and makeup and all that stuff. And they would, you know, there was still a full school day. So I wrote a note for me to leave at like 12 o'clock so I could go do all the things. And do you know, my mom signed that note. It was my mom's real signature. And they called my mom because they thought her signature was forged. (laughs) The one time in all those years that my mom really wrote a note, they called, they they held me in the office. They wouldn't let me leave. It was like a whole thing. And my mom was like, what? Yeah, I did sign that, right? So funny. But I was the responsible one. I was responsible for paying, paying bills when I was a kid. And I don't even think I realized how abnormal that was. Like in one sense, it's definitely made me who I am. So it's no shade to my mom, no fault at all. Like, man, she was like, if you don't pay these bills, y'all not going to have any lights. And I was like, well, the lights must be paid. And I've just carried that. I've literally just carried being that type of person my entire life. And while it served me, it has also exhausted me in many ways. My mom had a recent health scare and the number of people who call to text, first of all, she's just a popular lady. She's a good lady, right? And what happened was her old coworkers, I mean, anyone under the sun who could find my number, had my number still been what it was for like 18 years previously, Oh, it would have been 10 times the calls and all the things. But I have an older brother on my mom's side. And so many people know me as the person to call that it just became overwhelming and frustrating that I'm always the first stop. I'm going to keep it real. Like, it's, it's like, okay. And the first stop and people would not stop to say, 
hey, how are you? Are you all right? Like, I get it's about my mom, but it's my mom. So clearly, I'm I'm going through my own processing. I'm going through my own, you know, roller coaster of emotions and what ifs and what if it were worse and thank God she's good and but but you know my feeling like oh my gosh she's in California I'm in Georgia and then my brother was able to pick up and go and I couldn't I had all of these responsibilities and there was just a lot there's just a lot that just goes along with that right my my husband was talking to me about, well, who did you tell? Like, have you told anyone? And I finally just started texting some of my friends about praying, you know, praying for her and praying for the situation and all of that. And he was like, well, babe, everyone sees you as the strong one. Like so many people see you as the strong one. And I started crying and I just kept saying, but why? And I get it, but I'm tired of it. I get it, but I'm tired of it. I don't even know what it would feel like to be hysterical. The closest I've come is when we were burglarized in the Bahamas in January. And I did an IGTV about that. So if your mouth just dropped, you can hear the full story there. It's on my Instagram page. But the home we were in was burglarized. And when I realized that the burglar came in through a door that was literally five to seven steps away from where my daughter Reagan was sleeping. That was the most hysterical I have ever felt. Like I instantly grabbed her and was squeezing and hugging her and just, you know, thanking God. And just, I was sobbing and it felt like an out of body experience because it's not like I don't cry. I cry. But I have very silent tears. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I usually cry privately or if I do, it's a very silent and I'm still very stoic and I'm still very composed and calm. And I don't know if that is just who I am or if that is who I've trained myself to be. And again, I'm not mad at who I am or who I've become, but I'm definitely in a phase of questioning and and just unlearning and not just going with things just because. There's a lot of things in my life, labels or titles that I've had that I just don't feel I have to go with just because. My actions don't have to be based on these titles or labels anymore. And it's for this piece, it's just about me wanting to give myself permission. And people keep saying to be vulnerable. I'm already vulnerable. I say everything. <laughs> like Y'all know way too much. And if you pick up a copy of Redefine Wealth for yourself, you'll learn even more, right? It's not that. I'm a vulnerable person. It's literally, I make decisions always thinking about how my actions impact others because I'm responsible. So even if I wanted to break down and cry when I got the call about my mom, I knew I would be responsible for her care. I knew I would be responsible for telling my older brother. I knew I would be responsible for disseminating information to others. Like, because I knew I would be responsible, I took on a banner of peace, of calm, of just keep it together because other people need you for this delivery. And again, I have no judgment about it. It's not good or bad. I just want to know. And what I'm working to figure out is like, are there other feelings under there that I need to learn to allow to come out because I need them to come out and not hold up this banner of the responsible one 24-7? Or is it like, girl, this just is who you are 
And God made you this way because you you do have a certain level of responsibility. But I take that level of responsibility on in every freaking area of my life. And sometimes your girl is just tired of it. So the strong one, the responsible one, another, you know, label or title that I don't feel a strong attachment to in this season of my life is being a Christian. Now, don't get it twisted. (laughs) I am a follower and believer in the teachings of Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus, honey. I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my homie. My faith is not in question. My faith is actually stronger than it's ever been and is in great tact. But my faith is rooted in love. My faith is rooted in forgiveness. My faith is rooted in kindness. My faith is rooted in being non-judgmental, right? It's not simply defined by calling myself a Christian to fit in, especially in America where if you are a Christian, you are privileged. You're privileged, right? Because that's the leading um, religion in this country. And so if you profess to be a Christian out loud, like you don't get much hate, you know, some people will let you know quickly, like, I'm not a believer. I don't believe in what you believe, but I like you because I hear that all the time (laughs) here on the podcast or people who DM me and I'm here for it. I get it. But over these last couple years, and I have to keep it real, over the last four or so years um, during Trump's presidency, I saw a lot of people also calling themselves Christian, and it just made me really question, like, am I am I a Christian just in name or because of, you know, how I really want to live my life? Like, how I really want to show up? What example, let's go back to responsibility, <laughs> what example I really want to be for others who may have similar faith or just, you know, figuring out their faith or maybe have no faith at all. But if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, I can be a great example. As many of my friends who are publicly, you know, state all the time, like they don't believe in God, but they see a light in my life and they know me behind the scenes when the camera's off, when the mic's off, and they know that I'm consistent on and off this mic on and off a stage. And they're like, I want that. And the only thing I can ever attribute it to is my belief in Jesus Christ. But then when they say, but you're so different than a lot of Christians, this is not about me trying to separate myself necessarily from other Christians, but it is about People not getting twisted who I am and what I believe in because I call myself a Christian. Because I call myself a Christian doesn't mean if you've seen or heard from other Christians that I think everybody is going to hell, that I judge you if you believe something different than me, that I think it's okay to troll because, honey, no one trolls harder in social media than a self-righteous Christian quote that, take that to the bank. Um, There's so much that comes with it. And I don't want to be defined or boxed in because we have a million different ways that people are out here expressing Christianity. I believe Christians follow the teachings of Jesus Christ as best they can. That is what I live my life by. And so I have met and continue to meet, be related to, interact with people who call themselves Christians and they is everything but the right thing. And I'm confused. So I understand <laughs> when other people are so confused, like, you know. I talk to some folks and I'm like, well, do you even read your Bible, ma'am? Do you read your Bible? Because what is what are you doing here that even remotely feels biblical? (sighs) 
But then it gets me down this path of like, okay, now you're judging, judging them. And I'm really just trying to mind my business and get to heaven. That's really, that's really what I'm trying to do. But it's one of the labels. It's, it's one of the titles that I just don't know. I'm praying about it, honestly. I'm really praying about it. But what I keep feeling led to do is just keep showing up and loving people. In my programs, we're a safe space because I show up and love people, no matter what they call their religion, no matter how they title their spirituality. And I've had people question, am I even really a Christian? Because I had coaches during the Creative for Purpose Challenge who were not Christian. And I was like, if that's what you're worried about, you definitely are not a fit for me or for my community because I literally stand for loving everybody. Now, that does not mean that you can use and abuse me. It doesn't mean that I'm going to give away all of my intellectual knowledge for pennies to appease people who think that Christians should be okay with being paupers. It doesn't mean that you can come for me in social media if I did not call you. It doesn't mean that I'm your doormat or your doorstep. It it doesn't mean any of that. It literally just means that I want to approach any and everyone who's in my space with love. Hard stop, period. And even people who try me and troll me, my responses are always still delivered in love. Because going back, with influence does come responsibility. And I carry that. And that's not something that I'm leaving in my 40s. I'm in my 30s, excuse me. That's not something that I'm leaving behind. But I do question the label of Christian, because I've seen it play out in a million different ways. And I'm like, I don't identify with a lot of what I've seen. And the last thing in this space, I would say label-wise, I consider myself to be the artist formerly known as America's Money Maven. I think America's Money Maven was what I needed or what I felt I needed in my 30s to build a credible brand. I crowned myself as such. Nobody just started to call me that. I called myself that until all of the producers and the talk show hosts and the radio hosts and the podcasters and everybody under the sun was calling me that. And now it's not a name that I have any attachment to. That name doesn't define me. And honestly, I'm just at a point where I don't think I need a name. I don't believe I need a name, a cute name, a moniker. I am Patrice Washington. I am Patrice Washington. I stand for well-being. I stand for ease and grace. I stand for authenticity. I stand for attracting and manifesting from a place of abundance. I stand for making sure that women know that they can build wealth without sacrificing their well-being, that success does not have to depend on your struggle, stress, and strife day in and day out. And that message is so much bigger than being America's money maven. That message is rooted in understanding that I don't say it just to say it. I believe it. Wealth is so much more than just money and material possessions. I don't really care about your budget and your credit score. I want to change your behavior and challenge your limiting beliefs and help you grow in faith and confidence and love. And I feel my purpose evolving. And I have no idea what it looks like this next season, but I feel it evolving. And I feel that in order for it to evolve, that I'm going to have to give up the label that even I created, the title that I created 
because it served me in one season of my life, but it no longer serves me today. So you will not hear me from this point forward ever refer to myself as America's money maven. I'm taking it out of every bio, out of whatever, anything. You won't, you won't hear it. And I don't know what you'll hear besides Patrice Washington. <laughs> because I don't think that I need it. I just want to be. I just want to be. And another thing, and the last thing, one of the last things that I'm going to share that I'm leaving behind in my 30s is just anything someone else thinks I should do. If anything that I choose to do comes with should or supposed to, then I'm going to question it. I'm not saying I won't do it, but I definitely am learning to question why. Why? And when I give one answer, another why. And then when I put that answer down, another why. Until I get down to, is this truly in alignment for me? Not because someone else thinks I should and not because I've made it about what I'm supposed to do, right? And I don't care. It could be as simple as following people. Well, I should follow so-and-so because I don't want them to think that fill in the blank. Mm-mm. Anything that threatens my peace, my tranquility, my joy, the way I feel about myself, gots to go. Anything that even hints at building up a sense of misery or competition or restlessness, it, it, it has to go. I don't care if it's what I'm watching, what I'm reading, what I'm listening to, who I'm talking to. There is nothing that I desire to do from this day moving forward that I'll do because I should or I'm supposed to. And I was already a bit like this. This is something that's been growing and brewing, I think, for some time. But in my 40s, I feel myself doubling down to become more unapologetic about it. So instead of FOMO, which means fear of missing out, right? Doing things because we don't want to miss out. Oh my gosh, what if it never comes back? All the reasons that y'all do all the things and interact with all the people and buy all the programs that were really just FOMO. You had no clear path for why you really needed to do it or stick to it, right? FOMO, I've experienced that. I want to embrace what my girl Tanya Dalton talks about, which is the joy of missing out. Not the fear of, oh my gosh, if I don't do this thing, if I don't see this person, if I don't say yes to this, what will happen? It's actually, I'm not going to do that and I'm excited to not do it because it felt like a should and now I could go do what I want to do, not what I should do. There's a joy with missing out. If it's not a hell yes, it's definitely a no. If I have to talk myself into it, it's probably not needed. And I don't care if it's suggested by a friend, family, or foe. I'm not doing anything anymore just because. I'm just not. <laughs> this was longer than I thought it would be. I thought I was going to come on here and give you three quick things. But it was about the length of a therapy session, so... <laughs> I told you, these are the things that I share with my therapist. That's the rundown. Attachments to unnecessary numbers, not acting based on titles or labels that I didn't choose or that I chose and they no longer serve me. And anything someone else thinks I should do, those are three things I'm leaving in my 30s. And I don't know how long it's going to take to undo and untie this stuff. They are things that obviously worked to some extent because I had great success for the better part of my 30s, but success at what expense? That's the question. Success at what expense? And I'm excited about the freedom that I'm stepping into 
I'm excited about the woman I'm becoming. And I'm excited to see how purpose evolves considering my commitment to these to these items that I just shared with you. And so I just want to remind you, you can completely disagree with any and everything that I said. That is okay. You can have all of the opinions in the world. Listen, be great, but understand that this is my journey and I would appreciate the dignity of my own process. Now, if you have tools, resources, you can identify, um, then like welcome, like please share, come to the Redefining Well Facebook community, share. You guys DM me all the time on Instagram. I try to get through as many as possible. I'm at Seek Wisdom PCW. Um, you can comment on this episode on YouTube or on Instagram because I do read most of the comments. I really do try to. But just know that this was not about your validation. So don't come telling me everything that I should do because then you will have completely dismissed and disrespected number three, which is I'm not doing anything that someone thinks I should do. Okay. (laughs) But if you want to have a healthy dialogue free of all your judgment, then I'm here for it. So Seek Wisdom PCW, thank you guys so much. I'm looking forward to my 40s. I literally feel the best I think that I felt. 20s were about figuring out who I was, right? So were 30s and so will the 40s. But I feel like 20s were about really seeking so much validation and making other people happy. And then when I lost it all in my late, you know, 20s and rebuilding all through my 30s and building this brand and, you know, having all this additional pressure, I think, to perform and to be and do and have, and now releasing all of that to just be who I want to be unapologetically. I don't know. I have no idea what this, what's coming forward, but I do know that I'm, I'm happy, beyond happy that I have joy, that I have peace, and that I believe I'm going to experience unlimited amounts of newfound freedom. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you will get (laughs) in these 40s, but just know whatever you get, I wasn't coerced. It's definitely who I want to be and how I want to show up. And if you feel at some point that that no longer serves you, I respect it. Protect your peace. Protect your joy. Unfollow, unfriend, unsubscribe. Do what you have to do. But in my 40s, I'm going to do only what brings me joy and honors who I am authentically. That's it. So until next week, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.